Greetings, Starfighter. You have been recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Zur and the Kodan Armada. Get ready? Prepare for blast -off. Hello and welcome to We Came From The 80s, the podcast where we talk about movies we thought were cool. I'm your host, Farron, and today I am joined by Adam. Greetings, Starfighters. Are you prepared, Adam, to defend the frontier against Zur and the Kodan Armada? Are you prepared to serve alongside people with weird receding hairlines? Well, I do this podcast with you, so... Fuck you. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Did that slip out? I'll have to edit that in post-production. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay. <laughs> so this uh, this movie's got an amazing plot, the one we're going to talk about. It's about a, a country kid who wants to leave home and seek adventure. A wise old man comes and chats with him about it, offers him the opportunity, and he's reluctant at first. But then a tragedy hits close to home, and he heads off off-planet to fight an evil empire in his starfighter. So we're not talking about Star Wars today, <laughs> <laughs> though we might as well be. Well, uh, we're talking about The Last Starfighter, and it premiered on the 13th of July, 1984. It was directed by Nick Castle and written by Jonathan Betuel or Betuel. Sorry, sorry, Jonathan. It's starring Lance Guest, Robert Preston in his last film role, and Catherine Mary Stewart, and it's rated PG. It may it was made for a budget, quite shockingly, of fifteen million, sort of yeah. the standard budget. Like considering there are twenty seven minutes of CGI in this film. Yeah, it's, and, and it's insane that they managed to make this on a standard budget. Yeah, I, you'd think it'd be twice as much, um, but it's probably good that it didn't cost that much because for a fifteen million dollar budget, they made twenty eight point seven million. They almost doubled your money. Yeah, well, that's that's not great. You no. know, that's uh, it could be better. Yeah, I saw this film. It was either a rental or Super Channel. You know, it's one of these films. It's it wasn't a glorious film in its day. Uh, I mean, Roger Ebert said it was competently made, but he found it very boring. He, you know, yeah. he, he said he joked at one point that uh, George Lucas should sue. <laughs> but of course, he's using the same you know, hero's journey that George Lucas mm -hmm. used yeah. and that has been used for like 7,000 years. So you can hardly go out, you, know, you can hardly blame them for choosing something, I won't say generic, but something stereotypical because that's mm -hmm. what this is. It's a, it's a simple hero's journey. Yeah. You know, as a kid, I, I liked it. It was very clear that when you see, like you're looking at a video game, there, there was no photorealism here, especially when you see the uh, fighter command, you know, built into the yeah. side of that mountain, which oh, is cool God, looking, yeah. but no one could ever mistake that for a, a real mountain or a real building. Yeah. But I mean, it was still leaps and bounds beyond what video games were producing at the time. Oh, totally. I mean, the only other film I can think of that used this much CGI at the time would have been Tron, but mm -hmm. Tron wasn't going for realism, not even no. close. Uh, whereas this one kind of was, but you know, still it pulled it off. It was, it was cool at the time, but it's one of those films that came and it went, there's no cult following for this. Yes, it was neat, but, 
like to give you an idea at the end at the end of the credits they say you know wait you know go to the arcade to play the game the game never came out because at atari they looked at this and said this is going nowhere Mm-hmm. Like in 1990, there was a super, or sorry, a, a Nintendo Entertainment System game, but all they had done is taken a Commodore 64 side-scrolling shooter and reskinned it. Like mm-hmm. they couldn't even be bothered to make a real Last Starfighter game, though I think there may be one for like the Atari 2600 or something. Yeah, I but, think I saw something about that. Yeah, so this sort of you know came and went. But as a kid, I liked it, and I, I certainly enjoyed it watching it this morning. What about you? Is this is this your first time? It is. Yeah, I, I hadn't seen this before. I'd heard it referenced enough that I knew what the general plot points were, so that some alien race used a video game to find the person who would be best suited to be a fighter pilot for them, yeah. effectively. So, I, I mean, I kind of came into that with that bit spoiled for me. But I I mean, honest, honestly, I enjoyed watching it. It wasn't anything glorious. It was competently made, uh, as, as, Roger, as Roger Ebert had said. But I mean, where do you go beyond that? I mean, it's a good, good enough movie, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I yesterday I tried to watch the director's commentary and it was really boring. I didn't make it very far. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, this is what this represents. And oh, look at this. Like, yeah, dude, that's not what I'm interested in hearing. So I gave up on it, but I did watch the film on its own. You know, no director's commentary. I did watch it this morning and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I I thought the dialogue was great. All of the characters are interesting. Mm-hmm. Like even even the ones where th- there's not a lot of character to them, like Granny. Yeah. By the way, do you remember you, you've seen at some point, or at least seen pictures of the Cage, the original Star Trek pilot? Yes. With those aliens with the big heads. Yes. She Gran- was in that. Granny played. Yeah. Granny played one of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was you know, 25 years previous, but yeah. But I mean, well, Will Wheaton was in this movie, though all of his scenes were cut. Oh, really? That's my oh, understanding. Okay. At least I looked at Wikipedia, and, I, and because I keep trying to find him, and I never do. Right. Uh, you know, the first time I heard Will Wheaton was in, and I thought, well, was he Lewis, the younger brother? But no. Mm. You know, it happens. You know, someone's in a movie, and they just, they go away. Yeah. I, th- I think that I saw on IMDb, they had a couple other people listed, I think. Uh, the actor who played Gull Dukat makes a makes an appearance here. Yeah, uh, Marco Lemo. He plays the Zandozan, the hit beast. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, who gets uh, revealed by when he steps in front of the Starfighter machine. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's Marco Lemo. You know, apparently, there's a bunch of these guys who wound up at one point or another in one of the various Star Treks. The only one of again any serious character note is Marco Lemo, who played Gull, as you say, Gull Dukat, and he actually played another Cardassian. I forget the name of the episode. It was a third or fourth season episode where we're introduced to the Cardassians, okay. uh, where he played another captain uh, and they brought him back. You know? I think that was called keeping up with the Cardassians. Oh God, I hate you. <laughs> um, I should have known that was coming. Oh dear. Okay. So yeah. Um, like I said, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed the dialogue. The dialogue was very clever. Uh, I like that, you know, there's not much of a society they produce, but when you go to the star base, it looks like a real place where real mm-hmm. stuff is happening. Yeah. I like their very simple transition from the alien language to the human language, where they literally just put a little thing on the guy's collar and he says, you speak English. Like, no, you hear English. Oh, OK. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah. And, and in Star Trek, we're used to that. But this is a simple way to get over the problem, to make him feel alienated. And then suddenly we can get over that and move on to the story. And this movie is filled with all sorts of little things like that. Mm-hmm. And like, like you know, it's it's a mediocre film, but it's a well-made mediocre film. Yeah. 
yeah, there's know? very few points where I, I had to look and stop and go, hang on a second. That's that's kind of goofy. But um, like, I, th- I think that the dialogue at certain points, like I there's certain times where I like camp and certain times where I don't like camp. And maybe yeah. I was just in the wrong mood. But this the, a lot of the dialogue in this is very campy. Uh, it can be. But I think it's it's fun. It's got a good sense of humor to it. Yeah, especially it does. The parts where you're dealing with beta. The Alex yes. replacement droid, he's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, it turns out that test audiences liked him so much, they added more scenes with him. It was that right. Yeah. But Lance Guest at that point had cut his hair and was apparently quite oh, ill. So he okay. had to do those scenes with heavy makeup yeah. and a wig. Uh, a wig. Okay. <laughs> I was wondering why he looked so different in those shots. And that would be an explanation as to why he was quite ill. Okay. So the details of that, I don't know. And it's none of my business, but you know, whatever. Still. Yeah. So you want to just go through this and see what we got? Let's get into it. All right. Insert your quarter and we'll begin the game. So it starts off with a kick-ass piece of music. It does. Uh, yeah. The Starfighter music. I mean, it's very generic soup, not superhero, but sort of space hero music. Yeah. But it's really good. And apparently they wanted to outdo John Williams. Mm. Uh, uh, missed that mark. A music. Bit. Yeah, yeah. Missed that mark. But they got this extra large sized orchestra to play the music. Sure. More instruments doesn't mean better. But no. this music is easily as good as much of what John Williams did for Star Wars. Certainly. It's not as iconic, but it's a beautiful piece of music. I quite enjoy it. It's a well, it's a well-made piece of music. It is. Uh, it, it sounds good. It sounds powerful and it sounds exciting. If nothing yeah. else. Uh, I wonder if they use that in the off-Broadway musical, the last Starfighter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a thing. Look at there's a Santa's man changing from a friendly man. Look, there's more. They're changing back. Watch out for a sneak attack. There's got to be video footage of that floating around somewhere we could we could dig up. Well, that's terrifying. Did you listen to any of it? And I sent it when I sent I, you the YouTube. Link? I didn't. I literally just finished watching this uh, about 30 minutes ago, so I, I didn't have time to die into that yet. Well, let me tell you, you're not missing much. No. You know, I'm reminded of the Simpsons episode with the musical of Planet of the Apes. Oh, it's just, God, yes. you know, sh- just things don't that don't need to be Simpsons. made. Yeah. So anyway, the mu- so we got this great music with uh, pretty cool CGI effects, yeah. which is sort of the, uh, I'm not sure what they call it. It's their version of warp drive passing through a wormhole, whatever. Star it's just drive, a, I think they call it. Star drive, yeah. It, you know, it's a corridor of red lights. It looks cool. It does. Fine, you know, good enough. And then the camera settles on a, a trailer park. I'm not sure what state it's meant to be in. Clearly it's somewhere out west. Yeah, they never really give us any distinct information it's somewhere down um, southern midwest kind of area yeah, I guess. i'm guessing california or arizona or something like that it's hard eh, to tell i suppose we could, green for arizona uh you know what? we'll we'll figure it out when we uh get to the to the what's his name with a truck because we'll spot his license oh plate. yeah yeah yeah. uh yeah. numbnuts yeah whatever his name is <laughs> uh, blake uh something blake <laughs> is yeah. that it okay uh, yeah so you know, they show it's it's a pretty quiet trailer park. It looks very uh, sedate. 
You know, mm-hmm. there uh, we meet Otis, who is, I guess, the park manager and yes. runs the store up top. He's just this older guy. You know, today is going to be a sparkling day. I mean, he's a pretty generic character, but he's interesting. Like, this is a character I would want to watch uh, a movie about. Like, I could see myself watching a movie about the people in this trailer park that had no science fiction elements. I don't know about that. I, I find I find the people of this trailer park to be the most unrealistic part of this movie. Really? Really? It's funny. I find the most unrealistic part of this movie to be a hardcore gamer in 1984 with a girlfriend. But, you know, whatever. Mm, fair, uh, fair. <laughs> but, so, but, I mean, like, but, I there's... There's some people in the trailer park that I can definitely get behind. Like, yeah, that's an interesting character. Um, like, um, oh, Roger. Roger's main character. The hell's his name? The main Roger. character's name. What the hell's the main character's name? Um, Alex. Alex, thank you. Jesus. <laughs> um, Just uh, saw the Alex. movie, huh? Yeah. Dude, names go in and out of my head like that. Like, I, I can never remember characters' names in movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no. Alex is interesting. But yeah, Alex is interesting. His family is interesting. His Maggie's younger brother interesting. is interesting. Maggie yeah. is interesting. But like all the surrounding characters. Well, they're one note. Yeah. They're and, there to scream like, for Alex's help. But Otis is interesting. Yeah, yeah. Otis is probably the most interesting of the lot. Well, but he I has def- the most dialogue. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, I don't think that I'd particularly want to watch a movie about what goes on in this trailer park day to day because it seems about as humdrum as possible. Yeah, I mean, you have to flesh it out more. But the point is, they're not they're not characters that you are repelled by. Uh, you know, these are characters you could sort of you can roll with as the yeah. as the movie okay. plays. Uh, so we meet Maggie, who's clearly his girlfriend. He, she bumps mm. into her grandmother. You probably don't notice this as being special, but Granny wears Walkman headphones. Yes. And in 1984, that would have made her I won't say hip, but odd. Like, okay. oh, look at this lady. She's with it. She's listening. You know, she's bopping mm. to music on her on her Walkman at a time yeah. when that was something the kids did Fair. So it sort of sets her apart as, you know, she's not some old bat, right? She's, she's not aunt Elizabeth from <laughs> house. I, I don't know if she paints. I'm hoping not, but anyway, uh, fingers crossed. Yeah. So she bumps into Mrs. Rogan and, uh, mm-hmm. Lewis. Yes. Uh, and Lewis is hilarious. This opening bit with him, where he's walking around and he's got like a space helmet on. Yeah. And one of those little suction cup spring guns. And he just keeps walking along and zapping people. And like, <laughs> he, like he passes by an open, open door, uh, an, an open door. And you hear this zap. Ow. It's just, you know, like, <laughs> it's funny. Um, yeah. And, you know, he's ignoring his mother because he's just off. Like, it's clearly it's the summer. You know, everyone just sort of chill. And, and, and Lewis is out there having fun. In the meantime, Maggie goes up to chat with Alex who was at the Starfighter machine. Well, Lewis goes up there first. Oh, does he? That's right. He does. That's right. Lewis goes. That's right. Lewis does. And uh, it's funny. Every time I see Lewis in this film, I think it's like, is he Alex's manager or his brother? Like he gives him, you know, guidance on how to play the game. He, you know, when he's about to break the record, uh, he, you know, give him space, give him space. And it's like, yeah, I always get the impression this kid wants to be his brother's manager. Yeah. Uh, You know, and Alex is, playing this game it's a pretty impressive looking video game very Uh, much it should be clear that there is no way in hell a video game could ever look that good in 1984 like it's just not possible i mean it's not like you're flying around it's an on rails shooter Mm -hmm. right which is perfect because of course once he actually gets into a gunstar later for him it might as well be an on rails shooter because he ain't flying it he's just the gunner and then 
you know, we learn he's heading off to Silver Lake, which is probably a great place. Isn't that where Friday the 13th takes place? Crystal Lake. Crystal Lake. Sorry. I had that joke <laughs> primed to hit me uh, later. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Beat you to it. And uh, yeah. So, you know, he's we supposed cut... to go out there with Maggie and all of their friends in a uh, Buck's truck. Is that what uh, we decided on? His name isn't Buck. It's um, Blake. Something Blake. Blake. Yeah, it's a pickup truck with a lot of money put into it. It still looks like a pickup truck. And Maggie gets in the back and Alex comes up and he checks the, the mailbox and he's hoping for something and whatever it is hasn't come. And, you know, his quote unquote friends are sort of mocking him. Uh, I'm thinking, wow, they're dicks. I wouldn't want to go to the lake with them. But what it is, is we'll learn later, he, he wants to go away. He wants to travel far away from this place to join the academy and learn how to... I, I mean, he wants to go to university. <laughs> Wedge is not waiting for him. No. Uh, but he essentially what it is, like he says, I don't want to go to City College, get drunk on the weekends and throw up and watch you polish your truck. Uh, yeah. You know, fair enough. Anyway, he doesn't come. He's about to hop in the back of the truck with his buddies when his mother calls up to him. Was her electrical because she's going to miss her soaps? No, no, no. Uh, she needs uh, she needs moisture vaporators from Toshi Station. Yeah, that's once again different movie. <laughs> um, by the way, they filmed that scene. I could you can find those online. Uh, yeah. where he meets with Wedge. It's a bad scene. Oh, but, really? Uh, yeah, it's a really bad scene. <laughs> Not that any of the writing in that film is spectacular to begin with, but fair enough. Uh, you know what we learned very quickly is that Alex, who is you know presumably eighteen, he's obviously just graduated from high school. This mm-hmm. is that summer. He has big dreams. But sort of like George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life, he's got he's got too much to do at home and he's a reliable guy. His mm. mother, who is a waitress, you know, is working the lunch and dinner shift, so she can't do the work. He needs to help, you know, was it Elvira with her electrical and yeah. Otis, the manager, wants help and whatever. So fine. You know, Maggie heads off with the friends and he goes to work. Yeah, and, Alex goes and spends the day back in the trailer park fixing up all the things that need to yeah, be fixed. But we don't see that. I mean, at the end no. of the day, we, we go, and we, like, he's coming into his room and he drops a bunch of stuff on his desk and he just sort of sits there and he's got this this mobile hanging from his ceiling of the planets. And it's clear he's just sort of dreaming. It's obvious he's so done with this place. He hears two old guys chatting and it's like, oh, what do you want to do? Well, let's play cards. And he's literally mouthing along to the conversation. Did you notice that? Yeah. Because the conversation clearly happens every goddamn night in this place. And he's just, he knows this place so well. He knows the conversation. Like it's hard, Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard not to sympathize with him wanting more than, you know. Oh, absolutely. This. He goes back to his addiction, cocaine. I mean, the last (laughs) Starfighter video game. Yes. uh, And he plays. Okay, fine. Uh, And, you know, Otis, you know, he's up there now. It's nighttime. Otis comes out and. Where's your magic? Good question. Not having a good time, I guess. Oh, and you never have a good time, Daddy. Oh, sure. I love patching 30-year-old fuse panels and plunging people's toilets. Otis, I, I never even get a chance to have a good time around you. Things change. Always do. You get your chance? thing is when it comes you gotta grab it with both hands and hold on tight it's a conversation that isn't exactly deep you know you gotta you know when you see a dream you gotta hold on tight with both hands and yep. all that sort of stuff and then maggie comes home uh and 
Alex is a little offended because Blake drove Maggie home, even though he lives on the other side of town. Alex is a little jealous, which I find kind of funny because there's no indication anywhere in the film that this guy, Blake, wants Maggie. Like, he's not uh, pursuing her. He's got a girlfriend of his own. I thought you were going to meet me at the lake. What happened? Same thing that always happens. I couldn't get away. Where's everybody else? Uh, they went to a movie. Old Jack Blake just happened to be going your way, huh? Enemy squadron in sector three. He said I was on his way home. Blake lives on the other side of town. Come on, Alex. I wanted to get back to you. But this sort of heart-to-heart between Maggie and Alex doesn't last long. You know, I wish it had lasted a little longer. It would have been nice for him to talk and specify what his ambitions were. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, you know, he asks for a loan, so clearly he wants to go to a big university somewhere. But why not tell us that? Why not tell us what he wants to do? Does he want to be an engineer? Does he want to be a doctor? What? I can kind of sympathize with it i maybe it was just me reading into it personally too much but it seems like he he doesn't know exactly what he wants to do he just wants he just knows that he doesn't want to be here he wants well, anything but this yeah but if he's asking for a loan it's obviously for something my assumption was always it was that it was always university maybe yeah. i'm wrong maybe well that was my assumption business. Well. i don't know yeah. but that's the problem we don't know and an, an extra two minutes would have cleared that up doesn't he at one point say that he's gonna go off to university and then he'll come back for maggie well I, at the end, he says that was you know that I would once I once I'm settled, I come back for you. So maybe he is going out into the big world to mm-hmm. make a name for himself. I don't know. When we get there, we'll listen in and we'll yeah. uh, we'll confirm. But the conversation doesn't get that far. Instead, it, it's cut short because all the while they're talking, he's been playing, and she notices that his score is really high. That's how bored she is living at this place that she knows what his score on the freaking arcade machine is. Yeah. Um, but and this leads to my argument that these people are the most unrealistic people in the entire movie because a bunch of 70 something year olds and, and children and literally everybody comes to cheer him on while he's playing a yeah. video game in the dead of night. Yeah, because Otis screams, Alex is going for the record. Yeah. Like I yeah. said, I'm not sure which is the, the less believable thing that the, the whole trailer park gives a damn about <laughs> his, like the whole trailer park cares about his score really. Or is it that he's got this drop dead, gorgeous girlfriend and he's like a hardcore gamer who's having a heart to heart and couldn't be bothered to, you know, step away away from the video game to have a conversation with her yeah and you know i'm making fun of like a hardcore gamer in 1984 but when you were a kid you know way back 10 years ago everyone gamed everyone plays video games everyone had a game on their phone or whatever Mm -hmm. it would have seemed weird if you didn't when i was in high school in the 90s and certainly Mm -hmm. this would have been much more so in the 80s when alex and maggie were in high school a girl who played video games was dead in the water socially it was social suicide to admit, oh, yeah, I play a lot of video games. I love it. Mm-hmm. For, for smaller kids, it wasn't a big deal. Like if you were in middle school, it was OK. But once right. you got to high school, girls did not admit to playing video games. Right. Uh, the funny thing is, I mean, neither of these actors looks like they're anywhere near 18. They all look like they're in their mid 20s. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I may be wrong, but she certainly looks like she's a little older. He looks like he's much older which I find kind of funny, but yeah, yeah. he, 
she realizes you're about to beat the record. So Otis calls the entire trailer park up, including the, like you say, the old retirees playing poker. So they all come up, they're all watching him play. And it's funny because at one point someone says, there's the command ship. And one of the women is screaming, what's the command, <laughs> what's the command ship? ship? <laughs> you know, and, and that's like, that's funny. Clearly they don't actually care. It's just, this place is so provincial. This place is, is so boring. They'll take anything. Yeah, absolutely. They don't care what it is. They'll just like any reason to be excited. They want. And so he, he beats the game and everyone gives them a high five. And, but then you start to realize his idea that his ambitions are kind of sad because afterwards he's sort of sitting with Maggie in his arms and she gets up and she's all concerned. And it's like, I just realized you really are going places because he beat a video game. Really, Maggie? That's your indication that your boyfriend has huge ambitions? He uh, beat a video game? Like, I mean, she, maybe she it's because they had... Higher. Maybe it's because they had that conversation before and then it started to click for her. I don't know. It seems kind of funny that her realization that he's truly ambitious is that he, he ignored his problems by playing a video game, including ignoring... <laughs> including ignoring her serious relationship talk by playing video games. That is ladies who might be listening. That is not an indication that your boyfriend is ambitious. It's an indication that you are not the, the priority you should be just put, just put that out there. And it's funny because they kiss and Lewis sees it goes, Ooh, diarrhea, which I'm sorry is the perfect thing for a kid, his age to say in 1984 when he sees mushy stuff. Yeah, hundred percent. That was that was a well written line for a kid. Except he collects Playboys, so clearly, I mean, if he's uh, looking at naked, I know he's looking at naked chicks, but kissing them seems bad to him. Okay, hey, there was a time when you couldn't just turn on your you turn on the browser of your phone. You had to go and steal a magazine from somewhere. In the meantime, yeah, with mo- the cool older brother. Yeah. In the meantime, his mother comes home. She has a letter from the bank. It's clear that he didn't get his loan again. We never find out what it is he wants. Mm-hmm. And in a totally movie, but not realistic thing at all, he flees out the door. He runs. Yeah. I have never known anyone in my life faced with bad news who literally bolted out the door to run and get us, you'll clear his head. Like, who does that? It, it, it's dramatic for the movie, I guess. But yeah, you know, I'm sure that there's somebody out there who's like, as soon as they've got that, like they need to go on a run, but yeah. to turn on their heel and sprint out the door is a completely different story. Yeah. Like a toddler. Yeah. Yeah. Up to this point, the, with the exception of the, the, the chat that Otis has with Alex, the dialogue here has been pretty mediocre. And remember I said, I really like the dialogue, but yeah. here's where it starts to get interesting. These interesting people start to show up. Yeah. Uh, specifically this guy named Centauri played by Robert Preston. And it turns out, they wrote the part for him. Oh, really? He, he I guess he's best known for, you know, for the, the Music Man, which is a, a Broadway musical, and they made a movie version out of it. You okay. ever see the monorail episode of Simpsons? Yes, yes. Okay, so the guy who sells the monorail mm-hmm. is, of course, it's, it, it, the monorail episode is a parody of the Music Man. Okay. The guy who sells on the monorail, whatever the hell he sells him in the Music Man, that's Robert Preston's character. So you can draw a straight line from Centauri to the monorail guy. Oh, cool. Yeah, which is kind of neat. 
and he's a slick, you know, he's a huckster, right? He's a, yeah. he's a grifter. The car, by the way, is based on a design that was originally drawn up for Blade Runner. Yes. Yes. I did see that. Yeah. Which is not surprising because it totally no. looks like it. Oh, hundred uh, percent. And you but it is a constructed see... vehicle. Yeah. It's not like it's, it's a, it's a kit. Like this, it's not a real car. This is not like mm-hmm. a DeLorean. No. Well, but it was based off of a, off of a DeLorean initially, just sort of like with the gullwing doors and the long, sleek, angular panels and. Speaking of other movies with the star car in it, apparently the star car makes an appearance appearance in Back to the Future too. That's you see possible. It, you see it on an, on the street in the uh, town square when Marty initially goes to the future. Yeah, yeah, I, it's funny because I was just watching the um, the director's commentary for Back to the Future too because you know I expected we'd you know, yeah. be doing that. Well, you know, people are busy and that's life. But yeah, I seem to remember them saying that that they had used some Blade Runner cars and and some other stuff. But mm-hmm. it's not surprising. So this car pulls up and. The guy inside, who is Centauri, played by Robert Preston, asks, I'm looking for the guy who beat that machine. Hello. Excuse me, son. Store's closed, mister. I'm not here for cigarettes or bubblegum, my boy. Can you tell me the name of the person who broke the record on that game over there and where I might find him? Alex Rogan. You're looking at him. Alex Rogan. Ha, ha, ha. Who are you? Centauri is the name. I invented Starfighter, which is why I'm here. It is? It is. We have to talk about a matter of utmost importance. Step into my office. And one thing we miss, which is kind of important and actually mostly amusing, is that before the car shows up, the Starfighter machine starts to malfunction. Greetings, Starfighter. Greetings, Starfighter. You have been recruited by the Star Leading to defend the frontier. You have been recruited. Greetings, Starfighter. You have been recruited. Right. That is a machine with some really shitty shielding. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the machine starts to malfunction. Uh, it starts to stutter, which is neat because, you know, later in the film, it'll presage other things. Mm-hmm. Like we'll always know something spacey is about to happen in the trailer park because the machine malfunctions. Right. But anyway, Centauri sort of drives up, wants to speak to Alex. He says, I've got a proposition for you. Are you interested? He says, sure. So naturally, he gets into this stranger's car, because that's totally what I would do. There's someone in the back, and to me, it looked like a woman. It did, yeah, I agree. Um, I thought it was a woman as well. They introduce as Beta. He shakes Beta's hand, gets this wicked electrical shock, and Beta disappears. We'll learn about Beta later. Yeah. Uh, In the meantime... Centauri closes the gullwing door, drives off at like this ridiculously high speed, which at some point we see is like 330 miles an hour or something insane yeah, like 303, that. 303, I think. Yeah, because he passes by a cop who is asleep with his radar gun out. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, the the star car approaching the dead end of a street very, very quickly <laughs> takes off. Yeah. Because it flies, because of course it does. And leaves the atmosphere. There's this really cool bit where he looks forward because between the back seat and the front seat, there's like a glass barrier, like you'd see in a uh, uh, a taxi cab. And mm-hmm. he sees uh, Centauri, you know, who's just this old guy, this human-looking guy, yeah. rubbing a cloth in his face. And he pulls back, and it's obvious that he's got a mask and these two eyeballs, you know, glass eyeballs. Yeah. And he turns around, and he's like the lizard people. Yeah. So he looks like a scary ass alien. Yeah. He puts the mask back on. They go through the the warp wormhole whatever into the uh, obelisk 
No, it's a different <laughs> movie. But uh, you know, it is kind of neat. Like they pass through. We, you know, that we're on another planet. It's very obvious. He passes over a bunch of cities, mm-hmm. and if and if you notice the planet as he approaches, you only see it for a split second. It's these massive cities that you often yep. see in sci-fi. The sort of the circular web-looking cities that look like they cover entire continents. Right. Uh, which is fine. That's pretty generic. But whatever. Yeah. And they pass into a mountain range. And into the and as we've said, he's approaching Starfighter Command, which is this installation built into the side of the mountain, and that's probably the worst CG in the film. They just didn't do the terrain well at all. Yeah, the terrain is a repeating texture, and the Starfighter Command building is just kind of plopped onto it. Yeah, it's you know you have to give them like I don't hold that against them because this no, was made God, in, no. you know, this is from 1984. I mean, yeah. you know, it's they did what they could, but. Anyway, they they sort of fly into the structure and they land. Centauri gets out of the vehicle and leaves him behind. Yeah. Then the door opens and he sees this, we'll say a humanoid woman. I mean, it really, she looks perfectly human other than she has a receding Jean-Luc Picard hairline. Well, I mean, her forehead's kind of like raised up too. Like yeah, there's a for- big goose egg there on the top of her head. Yeah, her forehead's a little, uh, a little bigger, <laughs> but I'm guessing that's the makeup from the ball cap. Yeah. Uh, is none of the males have that. Right. Because you can tell the guy, no, dude, you're shaving your head for the part. Deal with it. <laughs> uh, you can't very well tell an actress that. No. Uh, so she sort of coaxes him out of, the, out of the car. She doesn't speak English, but you look around and there's just all these people who, are, again, are humanoid, except no one's speaking English. It looks very weird. The music is very this is a weird situation type music. Like it's, yeah. I don't know how to describe it without playing it. There's a perfectly logical explanation for all this. They send him through a corridor that sort of scans him. He comes out the other end and Someone hands him a uniform. Again, he doesn't speak a goddamn word of English, but there's one guy there who, gee, I think he might be a gambler. Why? Because he's wearing one of these visors from like movies about Vegas. Yeah. You know, with the green see-through, I don't know what that is, but it's a gambler's visor. And now you know what it is. Like it's. He starts screaming at Alex and then Centauri shows up. He's like, what's he saying? Oh, he's very thrilled to have you here. And if there's anything you need. And it's clear this guy is is screaming every four letter word in the book. It's pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. Uh, part of me wishes someone as a joke would take this film and put in bad subtitles for the aliens. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, you subhuman Neanderthal. Did you just swing out of the trees and get into Centauri's car? Like, you know, something like that. It would just, I think that'd be really, really funny. And then we go back to earth and uh, Lewis, Lewis is looking through, through his, his yeah, playboys. going yeah. through his playboys <laughs> and Alex comes in or sorry, Maggie comes in and said, is, is Alex there? It's like, yeah, he's been here all night moaning. Maggie says, you know, I'm sorry. I heard from your mom about the, the bank. I'll talk to you later. And then when everyone leaves the room, Alex pulls back or what we think is Alex in his bed pulls back the covers and it's this weird ass alien thing with like glowing lights in his head and pulsing skin. Like it's pretty obvious what this is. This is some sort of chameleon type shape shifting, whatever, Yeah. you know, I mean, it, it communicates very clearly. This is, he's going to look like Alex very soon. Yeah. 
one thing that I do really like about Alex's room is it really conveys a lot about him as a person. Uh, So when Alex first walks into his room, you've got uh, posters of, I think, Paris and London on the wall of the door that he opens up. So it really conveys that he does want to get away from here. He's got bigger aspirations. It's got the... um, mobile of the solar system hanging from the from the ceiling uh behind beta alex in the bed you can actually see on the wall there's a sticker that says save the whales which becomes relevant for a line later on in the film i didn't notice that but yeah because later he makes the joke all oh, right save the whales but not the universe yeah i didn't catch that yeah you know it's funny that i i did manage to listen to some of the director's commentary and one thing the director said was they didn't. They were, initially the script took place in the suburbs, but they okay. didn't want to do that because Spielberg had done it so well with ET. Oh, so they moved fair. to the trailer park, but they still wanted to show. And I think this was sort of their homage to Spielberg, that the rooms look like they're lived in. Mm-hmm. And they actually mentioned London and Paris, like the idea that he wants to go somewhere else. And that reminds me again of sort of George Bailey from "It's a Wonderful Life." You know, this this guy who dreams of going to far off places, except. George Bailey, to my knowledge, doesn't wind up fighting in an intergalactic war. Really? Is that how you interpreted that? I totally got that out of It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> There's a great Simpsons episode where they, they come across these lost reels of alternate endings, and one of them is It's a Wonderful Life shooting spree ending. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You uh, that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, and that's all it is. It's a reference, and most of the people watching that show wouldn't have gotten it. But yeah, like, like you say, his... His room looks like a teenager's room. Yeah. That it's, you know, so often in movies, like in romantic comedies and whatever that take place in high school, the rooms do not look like a human lives there. Like I've watched a bunch of them thinking, well, maybe we'll do one for the show. It'd be nice to do a a teen romance or something. And I started off with Can't Buy Me Love, which you've probably never heard of it's essentially about the loser at school pays the coolest girl in the school to go on a date with him and then break up with him so he can get some social cachet okay and the one thing when you see her room is it looks like a hollywood producer's idea of what a teenage girl's room looks like right it doesn't look like a room anyone actually lives in this room looks like people live in there yeah you know and i i really like that in the meantime we go back to starfighter command and we see it's a pretty standard looking place with a lot of oscilloscopes and blinking lights that don't actually do anything. Mm-hmm. And lots of guys in uniform with caps to hide their bald spots. And <laughs> then they give them the universal translator. And what I really like is it's not just that they now all speak English. They speak it in his accent, the Midwestern yeah. accent. Listen, uh, there's been a big mistake. Welcome to Starfighter Command. Speak English? No, you hear English thanks to your translator device. Hurry up. We haven't got much time. The briefing begins immediately. Yeah. I mean, there is at one point you hear a guy just after Zur makes his pretty cool appearance. Mm-hmm. You do hear a southern accent. Okay. But most of these accents are his accents. Okay. Almost like it's adapting as much as possible to what his ear is used to hearing. Right. Which is kind of neat. They give him the universal translator and say, join the recruits. And it's funny because all the recruits are all sitting in these chairs and they all turn around. Join the other recruits. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We can talk about recruits. No. I don't believe this. Oh. <laughs> look them over. Yeah. And they just ignore them. Yeah. It's just really like they look like such a miserable group of people. And as he's going to sort of sit down, is this where the speech comes? The speech starts? 
Well, it starts there, and then he steps on the one alien's right. tentacle. Right. Some ambassador who we don't really know what he does, yeah. other than he's an ambassador. He starts talking about a betrayal, and you know, you have the gift to be recruits. Obviously, this is sort of a commencement day, of, mm-hmm. you know, basic training speech. And yeah, he steps on the tentacle of of another recruit. I should trust you to Goran Dust. I'm sorry. Uh, um, <clears throat> it was an accident. I, I, I didn't mean to step on your uh, whatever that is. And I got to say, I really like the the makeup effects. Yeah. I don't so much like the guy he who actually talks to him and explains to him who the tentacle guy is because he just looks weird with those eyes up top. But right. the tentacle guy looks cool. It does. It looks really good. And I mean, it's obviously not perfect, but for for the 80s, that is a great makeup effect for something that you're looking at for a prolonged period of time. Yeah, I'm actually kind of disappointed. I would like to have seen more of that character, like a character who's like a who's like like they say, you know, this race loves to fight. That's why they're perfect mm-hmm. for this war. Right. And we're sort of distracted because, you know, wait, what war? And it's like, well, you were you were, you know, you're recruited by the Star League. And, he, and you know, this alien starts saying the spiel from the video game. You've been recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Zur and the Kodan Armada. And it's kind of funny, like, clearly this isn't just what Centauri decided the game had to say. This Mm -hmm. is clearly a slogan. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like the army, be all you can be. The Marines, you know, the few, the proud, the Marines, these sorts of things, you know, join the Navy, see the world. Like, these are all well-known slogans. And clearly this is theirs. Yes. Um, Well, that or victory or death. Well, yeah, that, that one too. <laughs> well, as it turns out for most of them, it'll be the latter. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah. So anyway, they start chanting victory or death, victory or death. Alex realizes I'm not interested in either of those things. He tries to make a run for it, bumps into Grig. Again, yes. excellent makeup. He's a lizard guy, mm-hmm. a different lizard guy than the Rylands. Yes. Or well, a different lizard. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Not a different lizard guy than the Rylands. The Rylands aren't lizard guys. No. A different lizard guy than Centauri. Yes, yes. A very different, very different lizard yeah. person. <laughs> I can't believe we said that in a podcast. A very different lizard person. Uh, <laughs> so he meets Grig. Grig is kind of neat because he's he's got a lot of idiosyncrasies like the way he laughs and his body language. This actor clearly uh, we should give the guy uh, uh, a shout out. Dan o- O'Hara? Her- Hurley or Dan. Anyway, Dan has clearly worked on this. And I noticed this at the end of the movie, too, where he turns and his head turns in a jerky motion like a Mm -hmm. lizard. He clearly spends some time thinking about this. I often think even in bad movies, actors work hard when they're in makeup. Like they want to do like there's no actor who says, I want to do a bad job. Even in the worst movie we did in this podcast, Dungeon Master. Mm-hmm. Even then, those actors, they were paid to perform. They were paid to do their job and they work hard. And it's clear that this guy who plays Greg did that. He worked on his body language and his speech patterns. And I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe maybe that's who it reminds me of. I was wrestling with this the entire time that Greg was on screen. He reminded me of someone. And I think it partially reminds me of Odo. But his laugh really reminds me of somebody else as well. I can't think of who, but, uh, I'm not it, sure. Just 
watching him move, believe it or not, I, I kept thinking back to RoboCop. Because if okay. you ever watch, it's a bad movie. I mean, I, I tried watching and I thought we'll do it for the podcast because it's such a classic, but mm. it's an awful film. But I watched the way the actor who plays RoboCop mm-hmm. walks, that he walks, his neck and his head turn in one direction, and then the body turns in that direction like a, a machine. Yeah. He sees where he's going and the body turns. And again, it's this acting isn't just about saying something in the right inflection. It's about how your body moves. And that actor, just like the guy playing Grig here, yeah, you'd say it's a silly part. He's got a, a bit part, well, not a bit part, but he's got a minor role in a children's film. And yet he has put his his training to work here. And I just, mm-hmm. again, I just really like that. Absolutely. Uh, uh, so anyway, they chat for a bit. And then we bump into Centauri. We learn that Centauri should not have recruited Alex because Earth is not part of the Star League. But, you know, Centauri's theory is, well, you know, Earth is at, at risk as well. I get the impression that he's paid a bonus for every recruit he brings in because there seems to be a lot of money involved. Yeah. Uh, and the gambler guy is back, wants the money back. And this is interrupted by a transmission from Zur, who we learn is the son of the ambassador who runs a cult. So screw Alex. This guy has ambition. Has yeah, no cult. kidding. He's uh, got a, he's got plans. Yeah. And he is headed out beyond the frontier and he's convinced the Kodan Emperor to give him an armada mm-hmm. with which to bring down the frontier, uh, which we learn is essentially a wall to keep the peaceful systems protected from the scum beyond. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's he has the secret to breaching the frontier and he's been promised, well, he'll be the Emperor of Rylos. Then there's an interesting scene, and I kept thinking back to the, you know, many Bothans died to give us this information. Yeah. That, you know, I captured your master spy, and they show the video of the master spy's skull being drained or drilled into with like a laser torch. Something, yeah. Uh, and- <laughs> His head, and his head melting. It's pretty fucking grotesque. It but is. there's a neat bit where Zur gets very angry and he starts yelling. And as he does, like he's not actually there. He's a hologram. He's essentially a floating head in the middle of this massive, I don't know what you'd call it, control area. And as he gets angry, the transmission glitches. Mm-hmm. It added an interesting effect. Like he's so angry, he's actually fucking with the communications equipment. Yeah, uh, I like again, that. That was really yeah, good. Yeah, like Zur comes off as a comic, as a comically silly mm-hmm. bad guy who even the Kodan admiral in charge of the fleet thinks is a bozo. And yet I liked it. Like he's he's hilarious. He's a little bit like Ming the Merciless. He mm-hmm. just he is what he is. Yeah. And you just sort of got to run with it. Um, and I think that's cool. Yeah. Uh, and then we actually do go to the frontier and the frontier just looks like it's a wall of satellites. And I'm trying to think. How many satellites are involved that they're a few kilometers apart and encircle entire star systems? Like how much material is involved in that? Yeah. It's, like that's it's a Dyson ma- sphere, essentially. It Effectively, yeah. It's effectively yeah. a Dyson sphere. And it's just yeah. this thing on an immense scale that they don't really give a specific timeline, but it was built long ago. Yeah. I think if the movie were remade today, they'd, they'd dedicate 10 minutes talking about how the thing was built and mm-hmm. how the Kodan Armada was going to breach it. Yeah, probably. Just for that little bit of background that science fiction movies love to give these days. But this doesn't do that. We see Zur, and one of his cultists brings him uh, this crazy-ass looking scepter. He's on the he's on the command the command deck of this battleship. I get a kick out of the uh, what's his name, uh, Lord Krill, the uh, oh, the yeah. admiral in charge of this armada. 
a lot of characters have that one, what would you call it? That one twitch. They adjust their glasses. Okay. Yeah. Or they light a cigarette or, you know, something that, you know, that one thing that when they're annoyed, that's the one twitch they have. Mm-hmm. You got to appreciate a character who digs so deep into his twitch that he builds it into his helmet. Yeah. No kidding. And that's the little, <laughs> that's the little plastic eye plate that flips over his eye when he's annoyed. That's hilarious. Like, yeah. Here's a guy who knows he's a character and orders his helmet to emphasize that. That's hilarious. Yeah, I, I don't know. I was watching that and I was thinking, oh, is this going to be some interesting plot point later on in the film that he's no, got it's this? How you know he's that, annoyed? Yeah, that's it. That's his expression. <laughs> I, I just think it's hilarious. Uh, oh, what yeah. I do like is that he thinks Zur is an idiot, and so does his ad att- attaché. Because at one point mm-hmm. he says, "How long must we endure this fool?" It's clear he's only humoring Zur because his emperor has told him to. Right. And in the meantime, they manage a little breach in the frontier and they're about to fire. Well, tell, you know, tell the meteor gunner to fire. And Zur says, wait, I'm in command. I say fire. Yeah. Fire. But <laughs> here's the thing. This is neat. This is about as realistic a depiction of interstellar warfare as I have ever seen in a movie. Yeah. If you want to do damage to the enemy and you don't care who's left, Mm -hmm. throwing asteroids at them, that's perfect because you don't have to build a weapon. You just have to put a thruster and a little bit of navigation gear on an asteroid and let her rip. And those suckers will do so much damage. Yep. I think it Uh, was... I think it was in Mass Effect 2 where there's a quoted line that says, Sir Isaac Newton is the most dangerous son of a bitch in space. Yeah, because it's all physics. Yeah. What's the name of the show? The Expanse uses that. Okay. Yeah, the very last season ends with uh, someone firing a asteroid towards Earth to instigate mm-hmm. a war. Because, yeah, that's a pretty damn effective way to, you, you know, I mean, these are clearly small spaceship-sized asteroids. Right. Uh, so they're effectively, you know, bombs. Yeah, but you know it's super effective. So he launches these meteors towards the Star League base, and they get there pretty goddamn quick. So clearly, yeah, no kidding. So they clearly, got some giddy up. Yeah, the the well, either that or the uh, the frontier or the Star League base is right at the edge of the frontier, which is where you'd expect it to be if you had to, you know, launch spacecraft to fight off yeah. an invading armada. That's um, true. And there's a neat scene that looks like it's right out of like missile command of these things coming in on Rylos, mm-hmm. and. You know, they have turrets to knock them down. But then we learn that there is a spy inside the Star League and it's gambling guy. Yeah, it's the guy with the gambler's visor from earlier. Who blows up one panel that brings down the the turrets and the the meteors hit. And now we don't know what. We don't know what's happened. Dun, dun, dun. All we get is big explosion. They assume that they've won and they're going to keep trying to open up the, uh, the frontier even further to fit their armada through. Yeah. In the meantime, back on Earth. Ah, there we go. California. Ah, okay. Sorry, just because I'm looking at, because as we're looking, we're seeing that uh, Centauri Star Car has broken down and they show the, uh, he has California right, plates. Right, right, right. It's a, it's a vanity plate, Rylos, yeah. which is cute. So yeah, it takes place in California. There we go. So Centauri is fixing the, uh, the Star Car. He's taken Alex home because Alex just does not want any part of this. And as Alex says, you know, I'll just walk home. Centauri throws him some sort of communication equipment. He says, yeah. you know, change your mind, tap the communal crystals and good enough. So he arrives that night back right. at the trailer park. He bumps into Maggie, who's uh, who slaps him and says, haven't I? So d- didn't you hear 
me and my strange sexual urges aren't talking to you anymore. <laughs> you know, it's a silly line, but it's really good. And it's a yeah. really fun, it's a really funny scene because you just sort of standing there thinking, what the what? fuck did I do? <laughs> exactly. It, it's actually really funny. I honestly could have, like this, this movie is an hour and 40. I could have stood an extra 20 minutes of this film just watching Beta rolling around this trailer park wreaking yeah. havoc. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, All the things know, that he would just get wrong in day-to-day society. Because it's fucking hilarious. So he goes home, or he, goes, you know, he doesn't know what's going on, so he goes back to his house. He sits down in his bed, and Beta is there, and now Beta looks like Alex. Mm-hmm. And there's this funny scene where they're talking to each other, and Lewis wakes up, and is just like, just says, oh, yeah, go, go back, back to, to bed. bed and I'll tell mom about your playboys. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so real Alex storms out, and at the same time, Gull Ducat, the actor, Marco Lemo, is yeah. dropped off at the trailer park by someone. He looks like a hitchhiker. He passes in front of the Starfighter machine, which is glitching. And it's sort of, I don't know, because they're like, uh, they're shapeshifters. And somehow it forces him back to his normal look, uh, which is less pretty than Marco Lemo and Much. way less pretty yeah. than, than Gull Ducat. He's a Zandozan, an international hit beast, though we won't learn that till later. But, you know, he's scary and there's drool, so we know he's no good. In the <laughs> meantime, Alex and Beta are still having an argument, and Beta chases Alex back to the top of the trailer park, tapping his Camino crystals, and that's when he gets in a shootout with the Zandozan well, very the, quickly. Yeah, no, the Zandozan ambushes him from on top of the, the Starfighter arcade machine, and well, not on top of the machine. Well, he's not on top of the machine. He's on top no. of the building. Yeah, he's on top yeah. of the building, but he reaches down through like the patio right, lattice right. work. Right, right. And he grabs him. And, and so there's a little bit of a fight there. Centauri mm-hmm. arrives right away. Uh, so I'm guessing he never left because Probably he's there not. in like no. he's there in like two minutes. There's a shootout. He manages. And again, another funny bit of physical comedy. Centauri shoots the gun arm, like the arm with the gun off mm. of the Zandozan. It lands right in front of Alex, and then a second later, the rest of the body lands, <laughs> yeah. which is actually pretty funny. It is good. He has a conversation with Centauri. In the meantime, the Zandozan isn't quite dead. His severed arm shoots Centauri. Centauri shoots back and kills him. And now Centauri is dying. He says, okay, get back in the star car. I agree. I'll go back with you, because Centauri has convinced him that, look, this place is going to be crawling with hit beasts. That is why Beta is here. You need to deal with this or you're going to spend the rest of your life hunted. Yeah. And I like how Beta goes, wait, what? They're going to be hunting me? What? <laughs> Which yeah, is Beta pretty had funny. no idea that that was the plan. He was just there to fill a role. Well, I mean, part of him, I think, knows. I mean, he does sacrifice himself later. So clearly he gets his role. Yeah. But it is kind of funny. Like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, which is really funny. I mean, anyway, they get back in the vehicle. Uh, they fly off. They return to Starfighter Command, which, of course, is in pieces. And Centauri dies, green yes. blood and all. And Greg says he's fighting evil in another dimension mm-hmm. or whatever silly thing he says. But whatever. I like the idea that there is clearly this is his spirituality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's nice to see the little details like that. Yeah, it is. It, it kind of fleshes out both the characters and the world. It, it makes it yeah. feel like there was something more that was built, even if we don't get to see it. Yeah. Well, even just the fact that Centauri as a recruiter is clearly paid a bonus based on how many recruits he brings in. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting because army recruiters, obviously it's just, it's their job. They've, you know, here, Sergeant Smith, you've been 
assigned to be a recruiter for the next six months. Go now. And, yeah. you know, he, he doesn't get a bonus. At least I don't think he does. Uh, certainly well, in Canada, they don't, I don't know about the States. But yeah. here, clearly, they get a bonus. In the meantime, back on Earth, Beta hears something. And it turns out his hearing is broken because all he's really hearing is a moth banging against the window. Yeah. So he pulls his head off his shoulders, <laughs> sits it <laughs> down on the desk and starts fixing it. Lewis wakes up. And he goes, Alex, what the hell? Says, Lewis, you're having a really bad nightmare. Go back to sleep. <laughs> Which is real. Again, it's simple. It's goofy. Yeah. But it works. Yeah, it's excellent. It was a very well done scene. This is a fun movie. When I mentioned to my mother we were doing this, you know, she saw it probably when I saw it as a kid. And she says, oh, that was a fun movie. Yeah, Even she enough. thought this film was funny. Yeah. The dialogue is cute. The situations like this, they're well-made. Like, this is a well-made film, despite yeah. being a B-film. Yeah. It's attempting the same thing that House did, just mm-hmm. to be a fun B-movie, but it succeeds yeah. in every way. Yeah. In, in the meantime, he fixes his head, and then as his, you know, his head is still on, his head is still on the desk, he turns it around so he's looking out the window, and he sees a star fall, and he knows it's another Zandozan, another hit beast. And so he shakes his head, by actually holding it and turning it because his head isn't on his shoulders, yeah. but he still wants to shake his head in frustration. And Again, pinches his own nose. <laughs> pinches his own nose to do it. I mean, obviously, it's just Lance Guest, the actor, hiding under a desk, right? Right. It's, it's, sure, so. sure. You, you can poke at it and go like, oh, that's obviously how they did this effect. But that doesn't matter because it still pays off and still looks fun enough that it's, yeah. it's just, it's funny. Yeah. In the meantime, back on Rylos, we have Alex, who's now in his flight gear. He's given a a lowdown of how the thing works. What I really like is how he explains the heads up display. Yeah. Because that is not something in the night in that in 1984, a kid would know. Right. These days, everyone knows what a HUD heads up display is because you all play video games. Sure. So we all know what a HUD is, but in 1984, that wasn't a thing. So it has to be explained to him. What am I seeing in front of me? And yeah. why is it when I look to the left or right, I don't see it. Oh, I've got to, I've got to stay looking straight ahead. Mm-hmm. which is why the video game is the way it is. You must always be looking straight on at that video game screen. Again, very clever. So yeah. they sort of fly off and they do some target practice, just like in the video game, right? Starts with target practice mm-hmm. of these little drones. And in the meantime, back on earth, beta is helping Otis put up like a, what is it? A like satellite a, receiver, I think, isn't it? I'm pretty sure it's not a satellite receiver. I'm pretty sure, sure. it's just a television antenna. Oh yeah, you're and, right. It's TV antenna. Yeah. And Maggie comes along and says, you know, come to Crystal Lake tonight with me and, you know, <laughs> make it up. But Silver again, Lake. Silver Lake, you're not Crystal Lake. You know? <laughs> I mean, a very not. different movie if this ended with, with Jason Voorhees coming out of the weeds. Again, this is realistic. Come with me tonight to the lake and we'll go from there. Like, it's a relationship. It, it, yeah. it seems real. That's the one thing about the relationship between Alex and Maggie. It seems real. Yeah, uh, these are two people who who you know they're neighbors. They're, like she literally lives next door. She is literally the girl next door. Yeah, exactly. That clearly they were friends. It has they clearly they were friends. It has become more, and they actually have a fairly mature relationship for yeah, teenagers. On the whole, yeah, they're they're uh, able to talk to each other and explain what they're feeling and apologize and admit when they were wrong. Yeah, and like at the beginning of the film, when he realizes he's not going to be able to go to the lake with Blake and the others, she offers to stay. Mm-hmm. She knows she's not going to be having fun. She's going to be sitting around while he fixes stuff. But the fact is, she's mature enough to recognize that in a relationship, you don't always get what you want. You got to adapt. Yeah. It's not all just fun in games and, oh, you're boring. I'm not going to be with you now. And I like that. It seems like a mature relationship, 
which is to say it's totally unrealistic for a high school relationship. <laughs> yeah. um, in the meantime, he smells the Zandozan, and so we know something's cooking there. And back on the Gunstar, Alex is talking with Grig and explaining how the invasion's going to work, that the the Kodans will breach the frontier. There'll be all sorts of, they call them deck fighters, yeah. uh, sweeping out in front of them. If we can knock out the communications turret, then great. But the problem is we have to go through the fighters to get to the turret. But to defeat the tire, uh, the, the fighters, we have to get to the turret. He says, it's going to be a slaughter. That's the spirit. No, my <laughs> slaughter. Yeah. Like, again, <laughs> simple, cute dialogue, well played. Mm -hmm. uh, in the meantime, they wind up in a shootout with a cargo vessel. They chase it into a tunnel. He kills... Like he destroys the ship. He's pretty upset about it because he's killed for the first time. Yeah. Um, it should be noted that FASA, which is the company that did Battletech and Shadowrun, they mm -hmm. had a one-off board game, the last Starfighter tunnel run. It was exactly what it sounds like. You zip through mm -hmm. tunnels in spaceships trying to kill each other. Cool. I think it was like a one-off, whatever. In the meantime, he sort of chickened out again and Grigga said, okay, look, I'll take you yeah. home. We just have to wait for the fleet to pass. Yeah. Back to Earth. And Maggie and Alex are in the back of the truck and they're driving along. And of course, Beta has, it's not actually Alex, it's Beta. And Beta is still learning what it means to be human. And he's sort of sitting there with this bland expression. And he says like, well, why don't you just laugh? Like, why don't you have a good time? Mm -hmm. And the laughing is, oh, laughing. I can do that. Well, for one thing, I'd be trying to enjoy myself. Leaning back, kidding around, laughing. Laughing? Well, it's a start, Alex. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. And, and everyone's looking at him like, you freak. It's, <laughs> but again, it's, I understand why test audiences loved the beta character as much as they did. Oh, absolutely. And by the way, it's pretty clear this scene, he's wearing a wig and makeup. Yeah, it is. It's pretty clear. And uh, this was filmed later on in pickups. I, I Again, I get it. I get why they wanted to see more of Beta. I would like to have seen even more. But in the meantime, they, they sort of drive off and laugh. They pass a cop. The cop immediately gets grabbed by the Zandozan. And now we know what the Zandozan will look like. He'll look like a cop. Mm -hmm. Then yeah, we he go grabs back. him and there's some big flashing lights. And, and it's yeah. not until actually the cop then reappears that you kind of put, oh, okay, he didn't just kill him. He became him. He became him, yeah. Yeah. So then we go back to the Gunstar and they're talking about families and there's a cute thing. Well, I live in a cave with my wifeoid and 6,000 little Grigglings. Yeah. Okay. We could have found better words, but whatever. Yeah. But, you know, they start talking about family and obviously Grig is trying to get him to identify that he has got, like, he's got a stake in the game. Yeah. He's got a stake in the game because they're eventually going to come for him. And he says, oh, you live in a cave. You know, there's these caves near where we used to live. And I used to play hide and seek with Lewis all the time. And he dawns on him, hey, I get it. What if we waited for the fleet to pass overhead? And then we could hit the command module from behind and we could destroy the fighters. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens. You know, well, yeah, Grig, Grig says, I mean, oh, that's a good plan. It's a shame there's no starfighters around to execute it. Yeah, yeah, real shame. Oh, you know, maybe there is. And. Okay, but you know what? You convince a soldier to fight in a war by reminding him that there's something at stake for him. Mm -hmm. You know, there's an old understanding that people may join the army to fight for king and country or to fight for their flag. But in battle, they fight for the guy beside them. 
Yeah. And Grig has, even in a kid's movie, the writer knew this. Grig has gotten Alex to buy into this war by making him realize that he has a stake in it and he has agency. The plan is Alex's. Yeah. I'm sure Grig could have figured this out. Grig is clearly a seasoned officer, mm-hmm. but he looks out. He lets Alex figure it out. He lets Alex make the decisions. Well, I mean, he doesn't, it isn't even until after the next section here that Alex decides that he's going to stick around for this because they come out of the cave and they have to defend themselves from another five ships right, or whatnot. Right, right. That's right. But still, again, it's him because remember the reason they're in the caves to begin with, the reason he chased down this one ship mm-hmm. and remember Alex is angry with him. He says, why did you make me kill him? And he says, oh, I'm sorry. I, I thought if I put you in the heat of battle, a true starfighter would emerge. Mm-hmm. Grig knows how to make a soldier. Yeah, I'm guessing this author, I would not be surprised if he had done time in the army. You've seen pictures of the, what we call the figure 11 target, right? Yeah. The target that soldiers shoot at. Yeah. This angry looking dude charging at you with the old Nazi helmet on. That's mm-hmm. on purpose. It's to make you, it's to, to dehumanize the enemy. So you're willing to shoot at them. Grig knows how to make Alex a starfighter. And I love that. In the meantime, we're back at Crystal Lake. I'm sorry, Silver Lake. Um, <laughs> and... Under the blankets near a fire, this raging goddamn fire. Uh, yeah. Alex and Maggie are making out, and he's like, sorry, was I supposed to stick my tongue in your ear? And, <laughs> and this is the scene we talked about earlier where he looks at Blake, the guy with the truck, who is having an argument with his girlfriend, and he starts repeating all the things he said. Darling, forgive me. You're yeah. my Juliet. You're my Venus. And Maggie doesn't buy that shit for a second. She laughs at him, but she appreciates the gesture. And yeah. then still hearing what, you know, Blake says. All the other girls meant nothing to me. It was you. 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 Shut up and talk dirty to me. <laughs> the other girls meant nothing to me. It was you. 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 Should I talk dirty to you now? That doesn't work on Maggie as well as it works on Blake's girlfriend. Yeah, no. <laughs> and that's where he goes, like, I'm sorry, I'm just new to this human thing. And of course, who's listening in? The Zandozan, who shoots him, puts a hole in him, goose spurts out all over Maggie. I, I do love how just humdrum it is to Beta. He goes, I'm sorry, I'm new to this. And then he gets shot and goes, see? See, yeah, and you can see the, the internals and the goo yeah. and like the, the, the lubricant oil, whatever. And it's pretty funny. Yeah. He hops in. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's they, right. They chase the Zandazan out and they yeah, hop the in. Yeah, the makes a run. Yeah, that's right. The Zandazan makes a run for it because he realizes the the last starfighter is still alive. They hop in Blake's car and drive off. Yeah. In the meantime, the advanced so, ships for the Armada are approaching the asteroid. Mm-hmm. And there's sort of this back and forth between two scenes where Alex takes on all these ships and back on Earth, Beta and Maggie are driving, and he has finally explained to her what the hell is going on. The Zandozan reaches his ship and starts to communicate the message, the last Starfighter is. Yeah. Beta gets Maggie to jump out of the car, and he sacrifices himself Mm -hmm. by ramming the Zandozan's ship and blowing it up. Back on the command ship, they're saying, well, the last Starfighter is what? I I don't get it. And Zur, because he's a fucking idiot, goes, well, he's dead. That must be what it means. I order the fleet forward. Okay. And then, yeah, so they breach the they breach the frontier and they execute Alex's plan of waiting yeah. until the command ship passes. Yeah, they knock out the communications pod or whatever it is. And right. then he starts taking on all the ships. And then, you know, he's firing so many of these ships that he drains his battery and he activates something called Death Blossom, which is something new to yeah. this 
this ship. And I was talking with a friend about this, and I said, could you, you know, could you imagine an awesome video game of this, you know, like a, a, a simulator of a Gunstar? And mm-hmm. you could even do it in VR. Yeah. And that would be great right up until you hit Death Blossom. And you'd be barfing all over your keyboard because in Death Death Blossom, these hatches open up to reveal all these these lasers. The thing starts spinning around like crazy and turns itself into essentially a laser porcupine shooting in all directions and knocks out the entire fleet of enemy ships. Uh, But he has to be in close range for it to work. Yeah. So they they have to have a tense scene where he flies through the fleets and is is shooting everything down. Wait for it. Not yet. Not yet. Go. Yeah. And it's whatever. In the meantime, his ship's power is knocked out and the command ship is approaching and Zura. It was just before that that Zura escaped. That's right. Because at this point, the Lord Krill has had enough of this, this Gomer and said, enough. Arrest this guy. They dragged Zura off. He's now in command and he sees this one starfighter that's essentially ended the possibility of this invasion. And he orders, you know, running speed. And of course, there's another tense scene where Griggs trying to reroute the power. And at last minute, they manage to reroute the power, get the ship up and running, and they're able to avoid getting rammed by the command ship. Then they start doing strafing runs on the ship. They destroy an engine. The, uh, the command ship is heading towards a moon. And it's just, you know... Lord Krill, what do we do? She won't answer the helm. We're locked into the moon's gravitational pull. What do we do? We die. And again, you gotta give credit to a guy who leans into his idiosyncrasies so much that he has it installed in his helmet. (laughs) Because he doesn't just say, we die. First, the thing flips over his eye. Then he says it. And that's it. He wins. I I do want to note, though, that is either a an incredibly small moon or an incredibly large ship because oh, it, it covers right. like a quarter of the moon that yeah. it runs yeah, there's, there, there's a scale issue here yeah uh, but whatever it's it is what it is you know the ship explodes into polygons mm-hmm. and then we see a, an award ceremony back on rylos where the ambassador is thanking Alex and says, well you'll help us rebuild and you'll have a friend with you and this is where we learn that Centauri didn't die his body was just repairing itself, mm-hmm. which I think is cheap. I, yeah. It's a kid's film. I get it. They want it to be a, like a truly happy ending, but it would have been a little more weight if Centauri hadn't come back from the dead. Yeah. If there had been some ramification for what yeah. had happened. But hey, even Ben Kenobi came back from the dead. So yeah. whatever. In the meantime, he says, you know, we'd love to have you. And he's sort of thinking. And next thing we know, we're back on Earth. Blake has shown up. And Maggie has shown up and they're all asking, where's your son? Where's my car? What the hell? And Maggie's about to say, well, bad news. Alex is dead. And the Gunstar lands. Yeah. The whole trailer park shows up, including Granny with her shotgun, which I guess she borrowed from Roger Cobb uh, (laughs) from the movie House, which is the same double barreled shotgun. And again, cute scene. And he shows up and I like how he says, Ma, I've been to another planet. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> like it's just so matter, or it's just so matter of fact. Where have you been? Uh, I've been to another planet, Ma. Like it's just, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, Ma. I was out late. I went to the store. You yeah. know. <laughs> and then Grig comes down and like it's a monster. And he goes, yeah, a monster. Like the conversation between Grig and Alex and the people there. Again, it's simple, but it's cute. Mm-hmm. Like these people don't run away screaming. Grandma doesn't blow his head off. They're nice people. 
monster. Oh, no, 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 wait a minute. Hey, hey, Granny, put away that shotgun. What's wrong with you? This is my friend, Grig. I want you to meet my friend here. Grig, this is... This is Mrs. Boone. Hello. Hello. And uh, this is Elvira. Delighted. Me too. How you doing? I do well. They are, they are, but I mean, like, I, I still don't think that they're, you know, anything grand, but they are good no. filler. Yeah, they're good filler, but again, they're, they're just good people, and, mm. you know, again, Otis, I find an interesting character. I would love to have learned more about him, mm-hmm. uh, just because he seems interesting. He seems like a wise old guy. Alex says to Maggie, look, I can't stay for long. I have no idea when I'm going to be back. Come with me. She doesn't want to. In the end, Grandma says, Go right yeah. to me or whatever it is they do. And off they go. The movie ends. Like it's, there's not a lot to this movie. It's a very simple plot. Yeah. But it's well told mm-hmm. and it's fun. And the dialogue is interesting, especially once he gets into space. Yes. And the action is good enough. I think this is one of the few movies that could probably do with a CG update, but they're never going to do it. Apparently they uh, they pitched the idea in 2018. It got signed on by a few people, but I haven't heard anything else. People have been trying to make a sequel to this film for years. Spielberg wanted to make a sequel to this. Okay. The writer has consistently refused. Like, dude, it's not some pure thing. It's a B movie, but he has steadfastly refused. And I think maybe he was nearing retirement, realized that he he wanted to live a little more comfortably. So he optioned out his story. Okay. Fair enough. But that was 2018. Have you heard a damn thing since? No. No. Now it's 2020. It'll be at least 2021, 2022 before they get off the ground because everything is backed up because of the pandemic. Right. And at that point, this movie will be 94, 04, 14, 20. This will be a 40-year-old film. <laughs> this was the problem with Tron Legacy. Yeah. Who the hell remember Tron? Walk up and down your street and say, do you know the movie Tron? Maybe the ones who've dug deep into the Disney Plus library know it, but most won't. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with this. Go up and down your street and ask, have you heard of the movie The Last Starfighter? I bet you no one under your age knows it. Fair enough. So 40 years later, you're going to make a a reboot or a remake. I mean, a remake could be fine, but you can't yeah. carry on the story. No, a, a sequel would be out of the question, but I think that a reboot to redoing this story would be okay. Yeah. Or if you're going to do a reboot, well, I guess, why would you? This story is actually pretty cool on its own yeah. and would work really well because it is a simple story. You could reboot it. It would be no problem. And no yeah. one's going to say you're, you're sullying the purity of the original film. Yeah. No. no. <laughs> so let's kind of wrap this up. And I got to say, I enjoy this more every time I see it. There are some films I see where I like them less every time. Mm-hmm. But this one I enjoyed more this time. I appreciated the, the dialogue more and the, the physical humor more. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm kind of digging it. I recommend it. What about yeah. you? Yeah, I definitely recommend it as well. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's, it's fun. If nothing else, it is, it's fun to watch. And you can definitely dig into it and look for smaller details and subtleties and meanings here and there and everywhere and and sure if that's what you want to get out of this you're you're gonna get what you put into it but but you could show this to a seven-year-old and he'll enjoy it he or she hundred percent hundred percent this is a this is a kids film that could have easily been shown in the 90s and 2000s and i mean maybe by the 2010s it'd be a bit too dated for a lot of kids but yeah but it's a fun film and definitely uh, is pretty cool and (laughs) there it is so Thanks for joining me. Hope everyone uh, 
Hope everyone gets a chance to watch this film. By all means, leave us a review. Yeah. Uh, we have this one fan in Scotland. I keep wondering whether he's he's left a review because he's always super excited when I announce we've got a new episode. So HYB is his name. Uh, so, yeah. So to HYB, hope you enjoy this one as much as the others. It's funny. He lives in Scotland and the nearby town to him is called Airdrie. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we were chatting about that on Twitter. It was pretty funny. So uh, hopefully HYB likes this one as well. And uh, yeah, so there it is. There it is. Thanks, everybody. 